Now we're good. Are we on? No? Yep. Okay. So, uh, the word of the Lord says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of the Lord was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens after receiving the command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So we continue on our journey with Paul. We're on the second missionary journey. We've been stopping at new places because we're now up and around in the Europe area. Because remember, the man from Macedonia was praying, come help us. And Paul is intent on this second missionary journey was to stop at some of the already established churches from the first missionary journey. But when he went to do that, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit and, and God and Jesus kept blocking the way so that Paul would end up up there in Europe sharing the gospel in new places. And so as we are moving along with Paul, we find him in uh, Berea today. There's, there's like two big thoughts that I want you to see in our passage of Scripture uh, this morning. And I want to just explore those with you. And the first thought is that uh, we, are, we see this word brothers, and it's not the first time we saw it, but I want to just pause for a moment and explore that with you and just really understand what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to, to just uh, explore, you know, explore just how, what the expectations and the responsibility that is implied when we are passing around that word, brothers and sisters, and also just see the power behind it. So here in our scripture, we see it used a couple times. One in verse 10, if you'll look at it there, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went into this, the Jewish synagogue. And so the first thought here is that the brothers are there to protect them. I almost kind of have this vision that they're like bodyguards, right? But uh, they were just coming from Thessalonica and had kind of a really bad experience. That's where, you know, they um, uh, just tried to take advantage of Jason and tried to cause a lot of stir up. And so Paul had to exit like he's had to do several times, but exit quickly out the back door, so to speak. And the brothers were the ones who rushed him out uh, the back door. And that's what it's talking about here. But then it's also used again in verse 14 and 15, and it says this, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy, they came to him as soon as possible. They departed. So these brothers seem to be playing a part of, you know, like I said, uh, protection, you know, like bodyguards. They are also, we see them playing a part like promoting, you know, they're setting up things and promoting what they're doing, uh, participating, providing, you know, along the way, places for them to stay, maybe places for them to eat and, you know, just organizing the whole thing. In the New Testament letters, the readers are addressed as brothers, but really it means brothers and sisters. It's not just pointing out like just males. It's it's males and females. In fact, a lot of, you know, the Bibles these days use brothers and sisters, you know, when they're talking about this, but it just means brethren um, of the church. We see that it's used in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Galatians 1, uh, 11, uh, 2 Peter 1, 10. All those were chapter 1, right? Because it's talking to the brothers. 
uh, and brothers and sisters in Christ. In the book of Acts, this isn't the first time it's popped up either. In fact, they've already been associating each other like this, you know, as brothers and sisters. Uh, we see it in Acts chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Acts 2, uh, 20, or 37, Acts 15, 3, Acts 15, 23. So, um, we know that they're not like brothers biological. Like, they're from different places, they're from, you know, different cultures, from different family units. So why is it that the Bible, all of a sudden, is just speaking like this, calling each other's brothers and sisters? I want to explore that a little bit with you. In the Gospels, we read that Jesus gives a new definition of family membership. He is told that his Mother and brothers were seeking him. This is in Mark chapter 3. But, but he, is, he is teaching, you know, about the kingdom of God. And his mother and brother are outside. They're trying to get in, but the crowd is so heavy and, you know, and they can't get through. And so they just kind of send word through the crowd to tell Jesus that his mother and brothers are out there waiting on him. And this is what Jesus says in that situation. He says, "'Who are my mother and my brothers?' And then Jesus says this, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, what is, how is it that we define who is our brothers biologically? It's that we have like a common parent, right? Either we have a common mother that has you know, that we shared the wound and, and, and uh, was birthed by the same woman, or we share the same father. But we shared, like, DNA, right? And that's how we define who is our brothers and our sisters in this world. And what Jesus is saying is that my brothers aren't just the ones that share uh, the DNA from my mother, Right? But they are also the ones who share uh, the same father that I have. And so this is kind of interesting because Jesus widens it to what he would consider his mothers and brothers. He's not, he's not disowning his mother in that. He's not disowning his, his brothers, you know, uh, that was from Mary. What he's saying is that they're not just my only mothers and brothers, my mothers and brothers and sisters are those who do the will of my father, that we all share that in common, a father God. Now, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And these are the words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. You remember that? Where Nicodemus was a, a, a Pharisee that was kind of high in the council, and he comes to Jesus by night, and he's trying to figure out who Jesus is, if he is the Son of God, the Messiah. And in that conversation, Jesus says this in verse 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, which would kind of make sense, right? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's because Nicodemus understood that for me to be born again... I would have to come somehow get back to wherever and come back through, you know, the birth canal and enter into this world again. And how can you do that? And Jesus says these words. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I just want to explore this with you for a minute and try to reason this out. But what does he mean? to be born again of water and the Spirit. Here's some things that we know we've already been discussing, but I just want to try to put these together for you. When Jesus came back to life, you know, he was crucified, he was buried, and when he came back to life on the third day, he gathered all of his disciples. Actually, he showed himself to a whole lot of people, but eventually he gathers all of his disciples up on a mountain, and he says these words, right? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, so he has all authority, and he tells his disciples, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. How are they supposed to make disciples? 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you, and lo, I'm with you. And since we're going through Acts, what we know is that that is what has transpired. If we went through the beginning of Acts, Peter, we would see that Peter preached the, the word of God to them, told them about Jesus, and then at the end of that, they were convicted and they said, brothers, what do we do? What do we need to do? They were cut to the heart, it says. And in verse 38, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise not just for you, but for all those who are far off. And so the... All they are doing is doing exactly what Jesus told them to do when he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the water, into Jesus. And so they do that in Acts. And then as we're going through Acts, what you'll see repeated over and over again. We saw it with the jailer just a couple Sundays ago, or was that last Sunday? <laughs> but where, what are they supposed to do, they ask. And they say, be baptized into Jesus. This is what he's talking to Nicodemus about. That if you want to be born again, you have to be born spiritually through Jesus. Through the means that the Father has established. And when we are born again, we all of a sudden have the same Father as Jesus has. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, let's keep exploring this just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, let's just pause for a second. In love, he predestined. What does predestined mean? He foreknew or foreorganized way before we ever came into this world to figure out how to make us part of his family, to make, to adopt us into his family. So he, in love, he predestined us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. According to that verse, we are adopted. Jesus is obviously the only original son. He's the one begotten son, we, we call him. But we have been adopted by the love of the Father. And the Father's love was so strong about wanting to adopt us into his family, that he sent his one and only begotten son to pay the penalty for our sins or pay the ransom or pay the adoption fee, whatever you want to say, so that we could be his child. Now, he knew that when he sent his son to die for us, that he was going to get his son back, but he still sent him through all of that uh, humiliation of the cross and all of that dishonoring and uh, suffering and ridicule and everything that goes along with it. He did it so that he could have us. So he predestined to adopt us as his own children. I want to take you to, so we are adopted just so that, so that we finish that. We have the same father. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Remember what Jesus says? Let me tell you who my, my mother and my brothers are. Everybody who does the will of my Father in heaven. Right? In Romans here, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery that fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so we are adopted into this family, and God is our Father God now. And when you have a father that is loving and caring and has sacrificed so much to adopt you into his family, 
then you can feel loved and secure and confident. Did you know that Hebrews tells us that we can approach the throne of God with confidence? Why? Because he invites us into his presence. He is our Father who loves us dearly. Anyway, almost 250 times in the New Testament, this is why I think it's so important for us to explore this, 250 times in the New Testament, Christians are called brothers and sisters and brethren. How important is it to God that we understand that we are his and that he is ours, that he is our father, that we get to cry to him, Abba, Father, just as Jesus cried to him. Now, these Christians that talk about 250 times, it talks about brothers and sisters and brethren, and in our passage today, we see that Paul, Paul's brothers are protecting him. Not biological brothers, but a, adopted brothers that all have the same father, God. And we know that these Christians are from different cultures, different backgrounds, different races. In a single church fellowship, there were men and women of poverty and men and women of high standard. There were Jews and Greeks and, and Gentiles and Romans. It tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were, what does it say? Baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Greek, I mean, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. When did that happen? When we were baptized into Jesus. Do you know that the Bible tells us that? In fact, Jesus actually tells us this. Jesus tells us that we are his brothers. How is it that we are, that Jesus is our brother? He is our Lord. He is, he is God. Well, it's because we were baptized into him and we have the same father. And we have been united with him in this way. The reason this is so important is because we are now family. Family that is healthy and strong and family that understands their roles are family that understands they have responsibility to each other. And that's what we see playing out here and other places, and it's really important for us to see us, but the brothers are taking Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they are protecting them from the enemy, from people who are trying to hurt them, and they're putting themselves in harm's way. Last week we saw Jason taking the, you know, he was staying there and taking the blunt of that because they were, you know, they were taking money from him and, and you know, treating him t- terrible, but they did that because they're part of the family. It tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we, just, we have this responsibility. We, we get this blessing of being children of God, the Creator, but we have a responsibility to each other to treat each other as brothers and sisters. And in our scripture, we see the brothers, they have Paul's back, and they look out for him, and they provide for him. We are told in John chapter 13, verse 34, Romans 12, verse 10, Hebrews 13, verse 1, that we are to show brotherly love to one another. We are called to be sympathetic with one another's sorrows and to live in unison. We are told to carry one another's burdens. And so when one hurts, then we feel that hurt and we try to come alongside and we try to help in any way we can. When we see each other suffering in some way, the first thing that we should do is 
try to think, is there anything I can do? And if we don't know, then we ask, is there anything I can do? Because this is what we do. When we see somebody in danger, the first thing we do is try to come alongside them and help protect them in whatever way. If we see them doing something stupid, then we come and we try to reason with them and we try to help them make good choices. We don't have the attitude like, I'm not my brother's keeper. You know who the person that had that, I mean, like said that out of their mouth, right? It was Cain about Abel. And he didn't care. But we are called to care about one another. And there's power in that, by the way. There is power in this family of God when we utilize it to the way that it was intended. And we follow our Father God's instructions about how to be a family. There's power in it. There's not a stronger family in the world than the the family of God. The things that this family has accomplished throughout generation after generation after generation is mind-blowing. The things that we were able to achieve because we have this Father God and we are coming together in unison and we are working together is crazy. It's strong. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And who are we? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I I wish, like, we could explore this more, but the reality is, I just want to leave you with this so that we can move on, and that is that there there is incredible power because... Who is our Father God? It's God Almighty. There's not a Father out there that could compare to our God, to our Father. And we are His children, and the Bible says that we will inherit all that He has. Tell me how much the Father God has. I mean, the Bible says that He owns the, you know, what, a thousand cattle, I mean, all the cattle on a thousand hillsides or something. He tells us that we will inherit it, and, and And he has given us his spirit to live in us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We bear one another's burdens because that makes us stronger. And we pray for one another and we spur one another on. I'm telling you that we belong to the greatest family ever. And so when I read through that, the brothers did this. They went and got Paul and they took him out of... Berea, it just made me realize that that is such a powerful statement. So, that's one of the big thoughts that is in this passage. The other big thought is this, that there is joy in being of noble character. There's like blessing that comes to our life because we choose to be of noble character. You know, this past week I had vehicle problems. I got lots of vehicle problems, but but this one in particular, Jeremiah called me up one day and he's like, Dad, this thing, this truck's making all kinds of noise. And so I was trying to talk him, you know, through like, can you get it home? And so anyway, we get it home and the wheels is making noise and I was pretty sure it was a wheel bearing. Anyway, I didn't fix it because vehicle issues like that always kind of like intimidate me. You know, because I get into them and they're supposed to be easy, but they always end up being way harder most of the time when, when I do this. And so I put it off. I had to pick Jeremiah up and take him to a doctor appointment in Parsons, and I kind of forgot about how we were going to get there. And so the only option was is this truck. And so we're buzzing over there on Thursday. And the appointment's not until like uh, 4.30. We didn't get in there until... Like, you know, 4.45. I have uh, to teach. I'm teaching Asbury because Diane was out of town at 6 o'clock. So I'm trying to, like, figure this out. And I'm making phone calls to Sherry and Joni. And, and I think I'm going to make it okay. 
But I'm driving like 70, and this whole, the whole time my wheel is just going, you know, going down the road. And I'm just like, oh, no, Lord, please don't let the wheel fall off, you know. So anyhow, make it back. I was a few minutes late, but everybody was gracious. We had our Bible study, and everything was awesome. So I just decided I can't put this off anymore. I'm going to just wake up Friday morning, and we're going to take care of this wheel issue. And I woke up. And I took off the wheel, and I took off this, and, you know, anyway, everything went perfect. That does not happen very often when I work on vehicles. I mean, like these bolts that have not been loose probably ever, right, since the birth of this truck, just wasn't hard at all to just loosen. They just all came out, went and got the part. They had, actually, O'Reilly's didn't have the part, but... But then AutoZone did, so I got the part, stuck it right on, put it on. I was off going in hardly any time. Have you ever had that when things went together the way that you would want them to go together? It's just like, man, I think I'm going to be a mechanic. I'm going to start doing this on the side, you know. It just made me think about what was going on here at Berea because Paul has had such a hard time. It seems like every time we have a discussion about Paul's new location, we're talking about Paul's new troubles, you know? But he gets to Berea, and everything is just, like, nice. They just, there's just, in fact, this is what verse 11 says, right? It says, now these Jews were more noble than those of Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, it says, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed and not a few Greek women of high standard as well as men. It was like perfect. This is like showing up as like a third, fourth, fifth grade teacher and you just have like the perfect class. Would that not be awesome? Just like... These guys are just amazing. I was thinking about that this week. Couldn't help it because school's just starting. I've been praying for all of our teachers and just wondering, you know, how things are going as things are getting moving. And I was just thinking about it. Like, you don't have this so much in junior high, high school, but in elementary, you really do because you have a new class that comes in. And in my thinking, you know, and of course, I'm married to an elementary teacher, so I have a little bit of insight into your thinking, but... I know I probably have some of this wrong, but, but I was just thinking, like, every year you're just wondering, is this going to be a more noble character person? By the way, let's just, let's just, let me just point this out real quick before we move on. When it uses the word they were more noble, it's not talking about noble birth, like they were born in nobility, okay? It's talking about noble in the sense of, this Greek word is, is in the sense of social interacting of mindset of character is what it's talking about of behavior they are a more noble behavior more noble character and so this is why it fits so well with the classroom thought in my head right because i'm just thinking you know not every class is equal right not every person is some people are more difficult than other people that's just the reality and because a class is made up of people. Sometimes you have a class comes in and they're just a little more handful than the other class was or, or this class was. And, and so I was just thinking through this and how nice it would be if I was a teacher and I got a class of noble character. Would that not be sweet? I know some of your teachers are just like, yeah, that would be awesome. You know, or it is awesome when it happens. It's just like, it's just like, this is going to be fun. We're going to get to do all of these things that I want to do. You know, we get, to, we get to have more freedom to do things because more noble character allows more blessings, which allows more freedom. And there would just be a refreshing. And this is what Paul was experiencing when he was in Berea. He had these people just opening up the word. They were just diving in. They wanted to know and soak it up. And he was, you know, Paul was just like, I love this place. You know they loved it so much because who does he leave there? Silas and Timothy. They're just like, Paul, we're not going with you anymore. (laughs) All the other places have been crazy, but this place is like paradise. We're going to stay right here. 
And I just think that they had that. You know, noble people energize us, do they not? When people that just are hungry for God and for his word, hungry for just doing what's right and make good decisions, they just energize us. Let me tell you something. When you have that in life, just soak it in, right? Just enjoy it for what it is because we know that there's seasons for everything. And eventually the Thessalonians is going to come along eventually. Uh, and even they come back into the picture that we're in right now. They just couldn't stand that Paul was down in Berea maybe having a good old time. And so they come and they just try to aggregate and and aggravate and uh, bring up all kinds of things. Here's what I think. I think you soak it in when you have good times like that. But I also think that this isn't the time. when, when, When things are going well is the time that you make plans. This is when you dream and you... And you make plans. This is also the time when, like, you're, you are reminded of why you do what you do. You know, that would be a great time to, if you were a teacher just to be like, this is why I teach because of these kids, <laughs> right? When, when you're teaching a class like Thessalonians, that is the time you just try to survive. You just try to get through. It's a terrible time to plan because if you try to plan then, that's when you're planning your retirement is what you're planning, right? That's when you're planning your vacation. Uh, but it's not when you're reminded of why you do what you do. And so I just think that this, this is really kind of cool to point out. But there's a bigger reason I want to point this out to you. And that is, I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 12. And this is what it says. Finally, all of you, all of you, that's really important, I think. Nobody's left out in this conversation. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So he's wanting these people, all of them, to have just this perfect attitude so that they could be a blessing and so that they could receive a blessing, right? And he goes on in verse 10, he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days. Anybody here desire to love life and see good days? If anyone desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Let him be like those of Berea, is what I think he's saying, right? Those of noble character. Let him be like the perfect class in fourth grade or third grade or first grade or whatever grade it would be. Let him be like that because if he is like that, he will not only be a blessing, but he will receive a blessing. And if you're a teacher, that would be like what you'd want your class to know, like day one. You all decide today to be that of noble character. We are going to have a ball. You're gonna, I'm going to bless you so much, and you're going to bless me so much, and we're going to have a grand old time. But the reality is, is that every individual gets to decide if they want to do that or not, don't they? But that's what Peter is trying to encourage, is for everybody to decide that. Let all of us hear these words and and do these things. So the takeaway, I think, that I'm trying to get at is just be like that. It's a choice. Just like if you are a teacher, you know that these kids have the ability to make a choice. They can do what's right, and they can show, be that of noble character if they choose to. And you know that if they do, they will receive a blessing, and they will be a blessing. Do you know that Hebrews, I'm going to turn there, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, 17 says this. These are kind of like the Hebrew writer's closing remarks, but in verse 17 he says, Obey your teachers and submit to them. (laughs) 
I've gotten a little off on the teacher thing. So obey your leaders, not teachers. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You hear what Paul's saying there. I mean, the Hebrew writer is saying there, right? So your leaders are trying to do the very best to watch over your souls. Be a blessing to them by being that of noble character. You know, follow their instructions. Listen to them. And, and if you are a child, this is what I would say. You be that way with, at home. If you will listen to your parents and you be of noble character and you do what's right, you will be a blessing to your parents and your parents will be a blessing to you and it'll be a good time. So let me just close with kind of comparing a couple verses here. So in verse 12 of 1 Peter that we were just reading, I mean, not 1 Peter, what was it? Yeah, 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry. But that, if we go just a little further, verse 12, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. That's part of the blessing that comes by choosing to be of noble character, right? Because the eyes of the Lord are on us, and he hears our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Thessalonians were not a blessing to anyone. And God's, God was not rewarding them. But the Bereans, they were a blessing. And God was with them and he was hearing their prayers. Verse 13 of our passage in Acts chapter 17, it says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there agitating and stirring up the crowds. We don't want to be an agitator. Not if we want a blessing in our lives. Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's in the classroom, you know, wherever it would be, we don't want to be at church. We don't want to be an agitator. What we want to be is people of noble character. So I hope you appreciate, you know, just... Just these big ideas, you know, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the best family, the best father ever. And because of that, we are strong. We are carrying each other's burdens. We are there for each other. We are playing our part. And as long as we are participating, we are going to receive a blessing just being a part of this family. But while we are in this family, we are of noble character because we are not one to agitate or stir up anything We just want to have a good time in Jesus Christ and be a blessing. And so I challenge you, you know, to think about these things, about what your responsibility is as a brother or sister and what attitude for which you bring when you come into our fellowship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for the love that we have in Jesus We thank you for the opportunity to be adopted into your family. Father, we know that you truly are amazing. We could not be blessed more than to be a part of this family of yours. We thank you, Father, for uh, just the opportunity to be a blessing back to the people that we associate with in Christ. Help us, Father, to be a church that is like Berea in our community, that people just see how well we love you and how hungry we are for your word and for your guidance. Just how submissive we are to you as being our Father. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Nobility. What do you think of when you hear that word? I mean, if you're like most people, you think of royalty, right? 
the nobility, and that comes from centuries of the church and um, uh, and education and uh, governments all being so tied together and the influence of the church and uh, this idea of divine right. But uh, Mike, uh, I want to go back to um, Hebrews very quickly because uh, the scripture Mike was sharing uh, where he talked about in 17 uh, verse 17 uh, let them do this with uh, joy and not with grief, as as uh, giving sacrifices or sacrificing, um, uh, submitting to your leadership and and things of that nature. Um, but in the New American Standard, that ends with those words um, for the, the having that bad attitude would be unprofitable for you. Now, if you have, like, the NIV translation, you know what that definition of unprofitable for you meant. Because if you look straight across, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, this is the second time this morning that I came across that, that wording, that... Um, you need to do this because it's unprofitable for you. And the reality is because it's profitable for God. It's pleasing to God. Now, having said that, that's just where Mike's message took me. But it definitely is in line with um, where the communion meditation, what's the most noble family you know? I didn't say nobility. I didn't say uh, uh, a monarchy or uh, royalty. But we know the king of kings is uh, our lord of lords. Okay? And as such, Jesus, of course, that prince of heaven that uh, is uh, is our savior, um, who always lived like a king, right? I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't born in a barn or a stable, okay, or a cave made to be a stable. Look at the archaeology there. But the thing is, um, the King of Kings, our Savior, um, came to us as a very um, uh, humble uh, person, okay? Uh, and live that life. And what, would you say that Jesus' life was profitable for him? I mean, was Jesus building his own bank account? Or was he building his own church building and congregation? Well, technically, yeah. But, but it's... It's because he is God. And um, while he was here, he does not do things that are profitable for him as a man in this world. In the early 1900s, there was uh, a terrible tragedy in our country. In fact, it was the worst man-made disaster. Killed more people um, and held that record uh, until 9-11. And that was in Johnstown, Tennessee. Anybody ever read about the Johnstown flood? What caused the Johnstown flood was that upriver there had been a lake built. And on this lake um, a a handful of extremely wealthy um, captains of industry slash robber barons 
uh, built a hunting and fishing lodge. And amongst its membership was Andrew Carnegie. And um, the guy who was pretty was in charge that, that had it built, um, there had always been the threat of the dam breaking. Um, but this guy who owned the hunting and fishing lodge um, basically weakened the dam because his carriage wouldn't fit across it. And by doing that, of course, here comes that rain. And it was like a Labor Day weekend or a Memorial Day weekend. Probably Memorial Day. Seems like that's when it really rains. But, but uh, the dam broke because of a man's attitude that he was more important than the safety of people or more important than the, 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 the structure of that lake. A man's idea that he was the nobility. Interestingly enough, after that happened, none of those men, including the, the guy who had it done, was ever charged for anything criminal. Even though oh, it was like 1,700 people died, perished in that flood. However, Andrew Carnegie it, it, it changed his life. And he would write a, a message to other what people would think noble people, the wealthy class, and he would call it the gospel of wealth. And in that, he ends his, his lecture or his uh, uh, message to his fellow wealthy men. He says, he who dies wealthy uh, dies uh, starts with a D, uh, basically uh, disgraced. There we go. If you, to die with wealth is to die disgraced. Now, we know that Carnegie still was one of the wealthiest men in the history of our country, even at his death. But he also started something amongst that wealthy class where uh, we still reap the benefits of it today. You know, Rockefeller, who may not be as of noble character, he gave more money out there just because he wasn't going to be outdone by Andrew Carnegie. Isn't that crazy? Um, so, does nobility come from your wealth and your status? The king of kings grew up a carpenter's son. Nobility, I love this, this isn't biblical, but it definitely, I imagine if I had given it enough time, I probably could have found some biblical insight or some scripture. But one of my favorite stories growing up, and even as an adult, I love Robin Hood. Don't we all love the, the, the brave man who robs from the rich and gives to the poor? Man, we like that idea. Okay, but uh, in the movie, in one of the movies, uh, and there are so many, but in one of the movies, there's a quote from Robin Hood. He says, I've seen knights in armor panic at the first hint of battle, and I've seen the lowliest unarmed squire pull a spear from his own body to defend a dying horse. Nobility is not a birthright. It is defined by one's actions. We're born children of God. But we choose to assume the nobility. Does that make sense? Because the reality is there's a lot of children of God who will not spend eternity within the family. You have to choose it. You have to live up to it. Just as Jesus told his followers, who is my mother and my brother? It is you who follow our God. So Christ was not 
did not come to this earth to earn fame, wealth, or prestige, or power. None of those things. He came as a sacrifice, as first fruits, so that we all would see that example and strive to be as noble in character and to gain our rank of nobility, that royal family of the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your son Jesus and uh, uh, his humble servant's heart to, uh, uh, to do was not profitable for himself, but to do what was pleasing to you. And in that, to grow your kingdom. Father, we have been called to join that family, to take up uh, that spear, to be of noble character, just as Christ was. We thank you for the examples of Job. When life seems that it could get no worse for us, we look at Job and we see that he lost everything. But because he would not live for self, he would not do what was profitable for him, but what was pleasing for you, he would gain worldly nobility, but especially the spiritual nobility you call us to. Lord, we just, as we enter communion this morning, motivate us, um, encourage us, give us that strength, give us that understanding that I want to be not a king, not a prince, but I want to be noble. Just as my Father God is, just as my brother Christ is. Father, we just pray these things in your great and glorious name. Amen.